All right, good morning, church. Um, Dylan, man, that was the most courageous thing I've seen in a long time. Um, as you were talking, I just was drawn to that scripture where um, Jesus says, unless you confess me before men, if, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. But if you do confess me before men, that I will confess you before my Father. And I just saw, in a very real way, Jesus, you're saying, you're standing up here, Dylan, and you're saying, this is Jesus, I've been confronted by him, and it's, this is where it's taken me. And Jesus is up there, like, that's Dylan, and I've seen him, and he's confessing him to his, his Father, to our Father, um, crazy uh yeah well let me um pray and try and transition from that to our text that sam read god you're you're coming for redeemer church and i pray lord that as we're here this morning and hearing of you, that it wouldn't just be a separate hearing of you, but that we would uh, be experiencing you in a very real way here, and that, Lord, um, we would know that you're coming for us, for this church, not to destroy us, but to build us up and to, to make us more like you, Lord Jesus. So I pray that, Lord Holy Spirit, that you would move in this room, you would move this room. It wouldn't be my voice, it wouldn't be Dylan's voice. It would be you that's moving this room, moving our hearts. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Sam read, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Indeed fitting. Why? And thinking on God, um, I'll just start reading about him. Isaiah 40, 12 through 18 says this about the God who we worship. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who, who made him understand? Who taught God the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? All the nations are as nothing before him. Isaiah 40, 22, it is God who sits above the vault of the earth. Like, this is who we worship. This is our God. And for us to see this, that God is powerful, he's creator, he is inscrutable in his thoughts and his ways, he is without measure. You're not going to measure God. God is king. He sits in glory above the, the vault of the earth. And all of these things are true. He's invincible. He's immortal. He's invisible, right? Um, have you ever thought that God is inaccessible to us? He's inaccessible. We cannot access God by nature. He's holy. And a holy being like God cannot have sin remain in his presence. And we're sinful. 
And we cannot have holiness remain in our presence. See, if this relationship with God is, is going to work, there needs to be a fundamental change because we are born inaccessible to God and he is, by nature, inaccessible to us. Like, what do you mean by that, Glenn? Like, let that sink in for a minute, that God is so holy that he is not accessible by those whom he created because we are born into sin. This isn't some sky fairy Jesus where he's like altruistic and that's it, and that he has no character that is outside of us. No, it is, he is holy. He is different than us. This is his nature. Uh, there's five illustrations that I want to use from the Bible just to, to talk about this that he is inaccessible by us. Exodus 33, 20. But he said, you cannot see my face. You cannot look upon my face and live. That's it. That's pretty straightforward. Exodus 19, 12. Moses tells the people of Israel, you will set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it, for whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. You cannot touch the mountain of God, because why? Certain death will happen. He's inaccessible. In 2 Samuel 6, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, this guy named Uzzah, put his hand out to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. God is inaccessible because he's so holy, because God's presence is in the ark. And a, and a man with his hand grubby and stained and created and dirty touched God's ark. He had the best of intentions. He wanted to keep it from dropping onto the ground, and he died. He had to pay for it with his life. Isaiah 6, 3, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And I think one of the most uh, referential ones to us this morning with Jesus being our high priest is that says this, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, amen inaccessible, unapproachable because of his holiness and his nature. This is our God. So what now? How can we love him? How can we have reverence for him? How can we approach him? How can we know him? What are our options? Well, one of the options that we do as a culture and as people and the thrones and dominions which are against God, this is what they do, is they rewrite his holiness. Uh, Mildly moral, mildly moral, mildly moral is the Lord God Almighty, right? What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? We rewrite God's character because we know that he's inaccessible. If, he, if holy means holy, 
Or the second thing that we do is we, we try and live our perfect life, and, but even the best life with the best intentions, we look at Uzzah and it, it's not going to happen. We're not going to bring glory to God even with perfect life. Both of those things are outside of reality. The fact remains that God is holy, holy, holy. He stands above the vault of the earth. He is complete in his nature. He is other in his nature. And that we are born and we're born into sin. Those two realities are true. And when we read this verse that Sam read, that's what needs to happen in order for these two realities, which are poles away from each other, can come together. We need a mediator. We need something to happen Eternal life, true love, forgiveness of God's wrath, they're all inaccessible to us. Something needs to happen unless God does something to change that. His nature and our nature are incompatible. It's just another way of saying it nicely. But this is not the end of the story. We read about this high priest who stands in between a holy God and an unholy people. And 1 Timothy 2 says this, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. And this feels like the proper time for that testimony, that we need a mediator to go between us and God. So he starts out by saying in these verses that it's fitting for us to have a high priest that's holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Like, why is that fitting? I think we're starting to see that God is holy, so we need a high priest who is just as holy. But we're also sinful, and we're created, and so we need somebody to bridge the gap between us and our sinfulness. We need somebody who's human and holy. We need somebody that brings those two things together. So let's talk about Jesus, our high priest, our mediator as being holy. It's one of the characters. Hebrews, earlier in Hebrews where we've read already, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And why was Jesus heard? Because of his reverence. That he as our high priest, has a reverence for the holiness of God. He stands in awe of his Father's holiness. We see this throughout the book of John where he's walking around and he's like, my Father is great. He's greater than I. He's awesome. And like, you could get to know him if you came to know me, but he's awesome. That's he had reverence for his Father. In Hebrews 10, when Jesus said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these offered according to the law. And then he added, God, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all. Holiness. Jesus is holy. What is holiness to Jesus? It's obedience to God, but turn inward, right? O obedience, like I have such a reverence for my father that I'm going to have it in here. I'm going to be constrained. I'm going to have my heart be obedient to God. Whatever I do, whatever I say, wherever I go, and whoever I talk to, I want to have reverence for God. I want to be obedient to God because of the reverence 
that he has for the one that he is obeying. This is holiness, obedience turned inward that we are, are just completely in our soul. Like, I want to bring glory to God. Like, that's what we want to do. That's what Jesus did. And he always did what is good and right and perfect in God's eyes. This high priest is also innocent, full integrity, inside and out, always. There's no guile. There was no cunning. There was no shifting. There was no shadow of he meant something different even though he was saying something. It was truth. God's truth turned inward that he was so convinced and so changed, I would say, that he wanted to bring obedience. He wanted to bring uh, glory to his father, that he learned obedience. Jesus is, is what we are told about Jesus. He never did anything wrong because he never had wrong thoughts. He committed no sin and neither was deceit found in Jesus' mouth, according to 1 Peter 2. This is our high priest. He was so convinced that truth was turned in, in, inward. So obedience and truth turned inward. Jesus was also unstained. That means there was no moral blemish on his record. He was never lured into gray areas. He never fantasized wicked or perverted thoughts. He never violated God's thoughts. Jesus was God's mind turned inward. Never impatient, never irritated. Um, the illustration just came to me this week. If God the Father set a speed limit for Jesus, he would never break it, right? And I was just thinking through that. Like It's not like he would be driving the speed limit and angry that God the Father had set a speed limit. He would just do it because he wanted to bring glory to his Father. And I was like, why am I still hung up on this speed limit thing? I was thinking about it for days, and it's like, oh, because I cannot drive the speed limit without being angry, irritated, filled with guile, and cursing our government and everything else. I literally can't obey it. But Jesus wanted to obey his Father. He was separated from sinners, our high priest. This doesn't mean he's inaccessible to us as sinners. It means he is morally different than us in his character. So Jesus remains sinless. That's separate from you and I. How? He internalized his father's will. He internalized his father's wishes and internalized his father's desires. So Glenn, how can you say this? Are you saying like that, that Jesus in his humanity was that obedient to God or was it his, the God part of Jesus that was obedient to God? Yes. God gave us his son to show us his character and Jesus became a man and even learned obedience, the book of Hebrews says, by becoming, by learned to grow by becoming obedient to his father. And this is, this is what he did. It's curious language. Learned obedience through what he suffered. So Jesus lived out God's will and he did it inwardly first. Like there was no guile. You didn't see Jesus and think, oh, where's he getting this from? It just came from within because God had given him 
and inside, a character that was inside that nobody else could see, where he and the Father were interacting, and he wanted to bring reverence and joy and uh, desire to worship his God with everything, all parts of his life. This is what holiness is. So without that obedience turned inward and without God's truth turned inward and without God's mind turned inward on Jesus and without God's will and heart for us turned inward in the person of Jesus, we would be forever inaccessible to God. He would be inaccessible to us. Our sin would make God, I cannot go to them. His holiness, we cannot, I cannot go to him. But because of Jesus being our high priest, it's of the utmost importance. We need a mediator. We need someone who is sourced in eternal life in order to give us eternal life. We need someone who desires to give us eternal life and desires to bring glory to the Father through obedience so that we might be obedient. We need someone who has so internalized the will and the wishes of God that God is pleased to look on him and then from him it spreads to us who follow him. And this office of high priest and his role of sacrifice then become the linchpin upon which we live our lives. That's it. There's nothing else except for Jesus, God's own son, bringing glory to him and then bringing us into that, living into the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that. So in my estimation, the, he the writer of Hebrews is correct. It's fitting for us that we should have a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. And he has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this, he offered himself once for all, offered himself up for us. So he not only offers up sacrifices, but he is the sacrifice that he offers. It's kind of outside of the realm of thinking, Sam Storm says it this, he did not make an offering for himself, but he made of himself for others. Jesus offered himself up for us. And lastly, the law appoints men in their weaknesses high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. If we were to try and summarize the, the new covenant, the, the new and better covenant, like all of the old sacrifices, this, the whole Levitical system, it, there's something that's better, and it's Jesus. And all of the prophets, and there's something that's better because it's Jesus. And all of the Old Testament and everything, the law that God gave, Jesus is better than that. And it can be summed up in this, is that he's a son. The new covenant is that Jesus is a son of God who is obedient to God and then makes us sons and daughters because of that. So how do we respond to this? Hebrews says that because of Jesus, we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. We draw near through Jesus. So let's just talk about this. Again, uh, it's so important that we talk about Jesus. For I've decided, I have resolved to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When Paul was writing to the Corinthian church, he was just like, there's one thing, and it's I've resolved to have Jesus preached, him crucified. That we, because of our great mediator, our priest, our sacrifice, we have eternal holiness to look forward to. 
but it's even better than that. We live like we are saved now because we are saved. We have the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us, brings conviction, but also brings change, brings obedience for us. It's life in the Spirit. 2 Timothy 1 says the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. It says that. He lives inside of us. That our body is a temple for the Holy Spirit to live in. That our church, according to 1 Corinthians, is a temple for the Holy Spirit to live in. God saved us, and he's now calling us to holy living. So let me talk about that. What does it look like for us to live holy, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Leviticus 11 says, I'm the Lord, of your, God, Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. First Peter echoes that, but he is, as he who called you is holy, so also you be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's huge. Like you guys, I think we know how hard it is to live holy. Like I said, I can't drive the speed limit. I'm not able, um, unless the Holy Spirit convicts me and guides me and teaches me in that moment, to drive the speed limit. It's being like Jesus is simply like that. It's bearing fruit in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to bring this to our church. Within the last few months, we've actually had somebody prophesy over our church, and we thought it was kind of just for the elders, and then we realized that he was saying it for our entire church. It's a very simple statement. Eric has said it. I've said it. That God is coming for Redeemer Church. And it's proven to be true. I mean, think about it. We've had the Cedar Falls campus is shut down. Um, Dirk and his role is changing. The Donovan's sabbatical has come up. Um, the PT has been really deeply convicted on some stuff that we didn't see before. Um, the, the building went from a, a no-brainer to a no-go. Um, Dylan is bearing his soul up here because of how God has changed his heart. God is coming for Redeemer Church. And it's not just for the entire church, it's for every individual in this church. It's the PT, it's, it's Donovan, it's Dylan, it's every single member of Redeemer Church. God's coming for us. And he's not coming to destroy us. Amen. He's coming to refine us, to build us, uh, not to scatter us, but to bring about heart change, a new view, a new maturity, a new obedience. So how do we respond to this? Let me read this over you. And can you put this verse up on the screen behind me? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's about to get real in here. So I think what God is doing in this 
this last season is he's removing scaffolding, things that we have leaned on as a church. He wants us to lean on him. He wants us to move toward him and and trust and, and, and faith. He says, my people who are called by my name. This is Old Testament language for if you're a Christian, here's what I want you to do. If you follow Jesus and you love Jesus and he's your Lord, then the rest of this verse is talking to you. It's not someone else. It's, it's you. God's coming for you. We draw near to the Father through Jesus. So what does he say to do? What does it look like for us to put on this new creation that Jesus, our high priest, has given us? Humble themselves and pray. Ask the Lord in your prayer time, Lord, how have I offended you? Where have I not listened? What do you desire, Lord, for me, for our church? What do you want me to do to fulfill that desire? What do you want me to change? That's humbling yourself. The question that I asked when I started reading this is, how do I know if I need to humble myself? When you hear the phrase, turn from your wicked ways, is he talking about you or is he talking about someone else? If that phrase, turning from your wicked ways, invokes some sort of pushback in your heart, some sort of anger, some sort of bitterness, or some sort of somebody else that's not for me, then this verse is for you, this part of the verse is for you to humble yourself and pray. Let me illustrate this with a Bible passage from Luke 18. Jesus tells tells this story. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself, and in some, some uh, Bible version says he prayed to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his, high, his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This verse applies to you somehow. The Holy Spirit, he'll make it clear as to how it applies to you individually, but Jesus applies this. God's coming for you. What else do we do? Seek my face. Exodus 34 says that we cannot look upon the face of God and live. And here he's saying, seek my face. He wants for us to look at him. So Jesus is taking our, our face into his hands and he's saying, look at me. Look at me. It's humbling yourself. It's praying. It's seeking God's face. 
they're all frightening to us in some way. He's bringing us to the end of ourselves so that we would look at him, that we would seek him. We're taking our eyes off of other ways, other paths, other directions, and putting our, our eyes onto him and seeking his path and going directly to him. The PT's prayer is that you guys would have a heart for Jesus, that you would see this, a heart trained on him, a heart looking at Jesus in all of your circumstances, in all of your life. That God's coming for you. Our high priest is coming for you to build you up, to, to show you what this life is like. And then he says, turn from their wicked ways. The way that we've seen this, we've prayed about this, is that we see that there's, there's character that's lagging behind posture. What I mean by that is like, people see us, they see our outside, but inside, there's something else that's going on. And God doesn't want that. Enough is enough because it's destroying us. Who you are when you're alone is who you are here. Some of us here are in the throes of, of sexual sin when we're alone. We lie to ourselves and we lie to others by not admitting that this is a struggle for us. And worse yet, we don't talk about it with anyone outside of ourselves. And it's killing us. And the thought of us being open about it, it's frightening. The thought of us actually saying, this is a, a stronghold in my life, it's overwhelming, it's seemingly impossible. It comes out then in a secret life, and we're not flourishing. God is coming for you so that you will flourish inside and outside. God wants for there to no longer be a chasm between what's happening in your heart and what's happening on the outside. Enough is enough. He wants for you to walk freely. He has sent his high priest's son to do this as a perfect sacrifice. He wants for us to live in this. What Dylan did this morning is significant, guys. Some of us here are in the throes of bitterness and anger when we're alone, and the thought of being loving, letting down our anger toward others is, is frightening, it's overwhelming, seemingly impossible. Take this to Jesus. This bitterness comes out in anger toward others, and gossiping about others, and not being truthful toward others, and then holding that against them because they don't know what we're thinking. Speaking the truth in love is frightening to you. But God is coming for you, Redeemer Church, and individuals in Redeemer Church, so that you might be able to stand and do that, to be able to express what's going on in your heart toward people that have hurt you, and for those who have been hurt, for us to listen deeply to how we have hurt them. God's coming for us. Some of us here struggle with pride. We struggle, with, with, we struggle to see how our sin affects other people. When we are confronted with sin, we fight against it. We don't listen to others. We don't care to really know or feel what others are feeling and what is in their hearts. Sometimes it comes out in assumptions like we know better when we don't. 
And to slow down and to listen to others explain where they're at seems frightening and impossible and overwhelming. To not assert our opinion in that moment and put others before ourselves seems like death. But Redeemer Church, God is coming for you so that you might be able to bend your knee first before him. That you would be able to say, God, the most significant place in all of creation is that I would humble myself before you. It affects everything. You guys are really quiet right now. Maybe you're thinking that I'm talking about somebody else, but God's coming for you. God is coming for us as a church so that our obedience will be turned inward into a place of character and a place, a, a heart that's filled with integrity and love and unity in this church. And he's going to do that because our heart has such a great reverence for God. So that when you're alone with, with God and, and you're in his word, that you are you are seeing great reverence. You are feeling great reverence. You are experiencing life-changing reverence for him. And that when he brings stuff up, that we would be quick to answer and quick to obey because that's where we're at on the inside. God wants fullness. He wants wholeness, completeness in every single one of us in this church. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Can you imagine a church that is healed? It's filled with deep unity and deep understanding and agreement in the Lord between our members and with him. Such power. Can you imagine a church that speaks truth to one another in love, like inward obedience coming out, speaking and listening and loving one another, so much so that it makes its way into conversations? Can you imagine a church that is healed? A church that our people are healed physically, a, a, a church where our people are healed relationally, a church where we are, we are healed and we're seeing healing for other people. Can you imagine a church that is forgiven by God? We will extend forgiveness to one another so quickly. A church where we know that we are forgiven and that makes us be able to do what Dylan did here this morning. Can you imagine a church where people are being delivered from sin? A place where the truth is being spoken over our church to build up this body to encourage one another. Romans 14 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, this context of what Paul's putting in, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. That's what's happening in heaven right now. Righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. This is why God is coming for Redeemer Church, so that we would be filled with righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Our great high priest is holy, he's without stain, he's innocent, he exalted above the heavens, he wants that for us. So we are admittedly in a difficult time in the life of our church. And I've had people ask me, like, Glenn, what's, our, what's your view on this? When are we going to come out of this hard time? I've been really slow to answer because of the first word of this verse two letters, 
if, if. I mean, I see the promises that God makes, but I don't know how a Redeemer Church is going to respond to those first two letters of this verse yet. I don't know. I trust him that if we do, it's going to get hot in here. I know his promises in this verse, but I don't know what we're going to do with this word, if. You've got to know your PT is praying for you guys. Our prayer, we're praying toward this. I'm asking you to obey this verse right here by the power of our high priest and in his name. But I don't know the answer to that yet. I'm going to have our response teams come forward and respond. And I want us to respond with this verse in mind. So we're going to take communion. And communion is just celebrating our high priest, him being the sacrifice, as it says in Hebrews 7. That his body was given for us, his blood was given for us, the bread and the cup represent those things. And I want to go a little bit Old Testament. This just gives you a, a light into my soul. Um, don't judge me too harshly, but Someday, on a good Friday, I would like to sacrifice a live lamb. It's, it's, I grew up on a farm in Illinois, and I, I get why you would be like, what's wrong with this guy? But this is what they did all the time in Israel. They would have a live lamb, and they would sacrifice it. And I've been told that when a lamb is sacrificed, it screams, and the blood is everywhere. And I want for us to understand the significance of that lamb in Jesus. When we're taking the, the bread and the cup, it is his life being sacrificed for us. So the other thing that Israel did was they would take their sins and the high priest would lay his hands on the top of the head of this lamb and he would put all of the sins of Israel onto this lamb as it was before it was being sacrificed. This is... Communion. This is what we're doing with communion. As we were saying, I'm taking my sins. I'm taking all of this stuff that's inside that no one else sees. It's hidden from everyone, but not from you, Lord. I'm setting it on your head. And I'm taking this uh, body and this blood, this bread and this cup to signify that I am dumping it off onto you. I am laying my sins on you, Lord Jesus. Do with it. Be my high priest. Take this to a holy God and, and deal with it because I can't. This is what communion is, that we experience this through this bread and this cup. This is what I want for us to do, to take this seriously, to move, to humble ourselves, to pray, to uh, seek his face, to turn from our wicked ways and move toward him in faith and in hope. God's coming for us. Let me pray. Lord, would you send your spirit to help people forget the things that you don't want them to be thinking about that I've talked about? But Lord, would you bring your Holy Spirit remembrance of Jesus, his words, his actions, whatever it is, Lord Holy Spirit, that you wanted to have us remember in this room and in this time 
that I was speaking, Lord, please, you're welcome to do that. Would you cause us to, to think on these things and to ponder on these things, Lord? We love you. We ask, God, that you would bring healing to our church. We ask, Lord, that you would bring salvation and forgiveness to our church, relational reconciliation, Lord, healing. I ask, Lord, for this. But I do know, Lord, that you have set before us an incredible path that starts with the word if. So, Lord, help us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.